Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 51, um, Westworld, season two, uh, episode three, Virtue 8 Fortuna. We're back with Mr. Babcock. Hello, Mr. Babcock. Hello, Mr. Schmidt. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, I'm doing especially well because this is our first attempt at getting on the air, and it's working, and uh, well, I'm very pleased with that. Um, yeah, very much. Nice you might imagine it works. Yeah, you might imagine I'm sort of like the opposite of the board of investors for the Delos Corporation right now, and they, uh, with the current operational capacity of Westworld, seeing as there's an insurrection with their conscious robots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so so I thought we might just jump in immediately with the um, the title. So Virtue et Fortuna. When we talked about that a little bit earlier, that is a that's a quote that comes from Machiavelli and his Prince, and he defines those terms. They're Italian terms. Virtue not meaning necessarily virtue in the way that we usually use it, but more like excellence or strength or power um, in a more traditional, archaic, ancient sense, like a more Iliadic or Achillean sense. And Fortuna being a reference to the medieval idea which uh, Boethius brought into um, uh, prominence of the rota fortunae, the wheel. And so the idea is that your own personal integrity or power is, will be revealed through how you react to your personal situation. Uh, which you can't necessarily control or dictate. The world will throw things at you which you could not possibly um, uh, predict. And in particular, Machiavelli talks about the situation where Pericles is attacked by not only the Spartans, but internally by plague. And that these sorts of conditions can't generally be, um, uh, can't be predicted. And because they can't be predicted, you sort of show who you really are when you're in them. And so I wondered if that was to what we're seeing in these characters now, now that they are in a situation in which they do not know exactly what the rules or the goals are, we get to see their true consciousness or their true being, who they really are when they have to react to the unknown. Almost as if the idea is that when the unknown strikes your known territory, that is when you as a conscious being are truly re revealed. And I think that the man in black, that's definitely true for, because he's finally playing the game at the level he wants to. But I would say that I also think that that's true of, um, of uh, Dolores, who is showing uh, more and more of who she is becoming, something like I would say sort of a fascist tyrant. Um, Maeve, also as a leader, but also with a couple of the sub-characters too, like um, uh, Hector and um, Lee the human, and also Teddy, who seems to be having some moral uh, qualms, and also the captain, who, who looks like from the commercials he will be the captain from the unit that was slaughtered uh, looks like he will be linking up with the man in black. And so, well, do you think that is <clears throat> the reason why we get that, that title here, Virtue uh, Fortuna? Do you think that's in any, any, do you think that's in the ballpark? I guess I might say. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Uh, one question I have is, so the suggestion is that the wheel of fortune is of course still in play in terms of like, things out of your control occurring to you uh around you etc but that you are sort of the wheel of fortune yourself in that you still determine your fate like there's not a, a you know there's no motion from top to bottom etc is that the idea i think the idea is that there's sort of um an objective and a subjective realm they come into contact through consciousness is mm -hmm. the idea of the wheel of fate that um that um uh you, you are the player in a game and the Wheel of Fate is sort of what provides the stage in which you play. And so there's a fundamental difference 
between I would say what is like sort of the childlike perspective where you are the world itself yeah. and sort of the adult or more highly conscious uh, uh, um, perspective where you realize the world is the world and you are a player within the world who is living out your particular goals and uh, in being able to recognize yourself as not say the God of the world or the world itself, but rather just one constituent element or one conscious agent within it, you can actually work towards achieving your actual dreams, right? Yeah. Because of not wanting to be everything and to have already accomplished everything because you have a Luciferian inflation, believing yourself to be perfect and complete, well, then you're actually free to improve yourself in the situation around you and to, um, and to uh, pursue your dreams, as it were. Because what is, what is the constituent element of per, or what is the, the oh, I'm forgetting the term uh, for, uh, oh, excuse me. Wow, what a, what a funny thing to pop out of my head. What is the Latin term for oh, the sine qua non? Mm, there we yeah, go. Right. The sine qua non of pursuing your dream is that you haven't already achieved it. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. j- just along this line, um, uh, the Shakespearean quote that Abernathy is, is it Abernathy yes. he uses is uh, from Lear, right? Who, of course, yes. receives a reference from the fool about the wheel of time or the wheel of uh, fortune, rather, not the wheel of time. Uh, yeah. So that might bring your your idea sort of full circle here. Well, and that's so interesting thinking of Peter Abernathy as as King Lear, because as we know with King Lear, it is precisely the um, the misbehavior of Cordelia, his favorite daughter, that that sparks that is the first unknown element in his court that sparks him devolving into himself a chaotic, insane situation represented even by the physical situation outside of him with a torrential rain, represented also by the political situation with Edmund and Edgar trying to kill each other, uh, sort of showing that what lies beneath all the conscious organization and placitude uh, that we enjoy is always a dragon or a host of snakes, like in Indiana Jones, um, in the pit that, uh, that what Abernathy seems to be reflecting is what would happen to us if we didn't have the consciousness necessary to mitigate the chaos we had, we had experienced right. or the we anomaly. Would, we would, we would fall to these, these sort of subconscious plots that had been instilled in us, these subconscious. Right. We'd drives. be overwhelmed. We'd be overwhelmed. We wouldn't be able to distinguish yeah. between. And, and you, you recall that this, that was actually something that was happening to Dolores and Maeve in the first um, season, right? Correct. That they couldn't distinguish between now and then at right. first, but yeah. they developed consciousness. They, they boom, they're rooted in the now. Which but I wonder, is that, has, is that what's happening to Bernard this season? He keeps time jumping, right? And you can't tell when the now is. Yeah. Sorry. Keep, yes, keep it's going. And, and, and I, I think that's rooted with his physical. I think he's supposed to represent somebody who's starting to engage with dementia yeah. because it's, he has a physical root right. to his physical, his physical decline is root is, um, it is the root of his mental decline. Yes. And uh, so, so what's happening with him is, well, Bernard's very interesting because, well, one criticism, I read a few articles about this, this uh, episode is that, man, they're really taking their time setting things up and they're giving us some reveals. And we did have a big reveal, right? This new sort of early 20th century uh, British colonization of India world or Raj world, as I've heard it called um by some and we also saw our first shogun our first samurai 
from the so-called Shogun world, from the viral marketing campaign of the creators of um, the show. So things are being revealed. Um, also, like you were saying earlier, when we were off the air, we have our first tiger. Our, our, uh, <coughs> we had seen some non-animate or excuse me, non-human creatures in Westworld, like the horses and I, I suppose the buffalo, mm-hmm. which we've from the seen theme song, uh, yeah. from theme, right? And from, I think Teddy saw it at one point um, or somebody saw it back in the control center. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, but the, now, we, now we've seen this tiger too, which is pretty impressive. And, and also we're seeing the ghost nation, you were saying, right. um, up close and personal. And in fact, Hector can speak their language, which, which is very interesting. Um, huh. But well, can I go back to something you said? You yeah, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, it's, um, Cordelia's misbehavior that causes the, that reveals the chaos underneath the dragon underneath. But, yes. uh, that's an interesting phrase. And, and I understand the, the choice of well, it, but, but it's, it's her will, right? It's, it's exactly like Dolores says, it's not, you will, it's an I may, right? I mean, she, the problem is that she chooses something other than what Lear wants her to choose. She goes against his preconception. Correct. And yeah. so in a, way, in a way, it's sort of like a Protestant vision of Lucifer denying God, I would say, that there is a preconception, although I would argue that Milton and Dante argue, argue that the fall was necessary in order to generate free will in man, and that was the ultimate goal. Um, that um, Lear, the old blind king, cannot uh does not expect something anomalous to happen and does not know how to react to it and so it is not so much that the behavior on her part is morally bad yeah. or evil or wrong right. so much that it's unexpected enough to produce an anomalous situation which then leads to Lear because he lacks uh integrated consciousness in fact the fool who's who he would have to be in order to become conscious to move forward because you have to be a fool in order to be wise because you have to humble yourself in order to learn in order to become wise. You can't already know everything. Mm-hmm. But Lear finds himself woodenly uh, reacting to the situation and thus punishing her in, in, in a way that leads, well, that apparently leads to his moral and mental decline because it is the wrong choice. Um, and so what? how I connect that to Abernathy is that Dolores also shows elements of becoming unique. And in fact, well, it's not so much Dolores that hits him so much as the picture that he finds of a woman. He, he himself experiences seeing anomaly and he doesn't have the consciousness necessary to resolve that anomaly right. in his mind. He has, as you said, all these, these sub-stories, not to mention the fact that he's also had a, a very superficial story stuffed into his yeah, head, which right. is, I have to get to the train so he's, uh, he's been messed with right. and, and altered too. And he contains all of the DNA samples and the code basically of, you know, like what could be extracted from us as our code, uh, like literally biologic and behavioral of, and he contains all of it within himself. Right. So he's sort of like, I would say like a divine madman, like a yeah. shaman, but uh-huh. not, not a shaman of the highest level, not a shaman who's actually integrated the material. Correct. Yeah. Like a, say, uh, like a, like a Carl Jung as a modern example, or like a Jordan B. Peterson, like someone who has seen all the contradictions of nature and all the sub stories and the major stories and can make sense of them in a hierarchical way. Instead, he like, I would say an initiate who experiences the dark night of the soul, but it doesn't have the courage or the strength to overcome it goes crazy. Yeah, right. 
right. he's overwhelmed by the images, by the multiple stories. He can't he can't decipher between them. He jumps from one state, like a schizophrenic. Yeah. He jumps from one state to another because, well, what does schizophrenic mean? It means uh, it means friend, mind, or heart, or mindset uh, split, schism, schizo, and so there. Rather than having a consciousness, which is um, which is bound. Uh, Rather than having a set of memories and motivations which are bound by a continent-like consciousness, which has a, an inner integrity, which manifests itself throughout time, which is what you would say like about the personalities of your friends, uh, which change you know, slowly but generally have a similar core, uh, his consciousness seems to just be, boom, exploded mm -hmm. with all these stories. He can't put them all together. They don't fit in in the frame of the picture. And so the frame is snapped um, because he had, and so he, his encounter with anomaly has revealed the inner weakness of his consciousness or his lack of consciousness, or has exploited the fact that he, he is, he is not among the chosen as Dolores might say. And, and in fact, he's unable to adapt. He's unable to adapt. That's, that's exactly right. And, and he's sort of Jobian in that he sort of gets picked out. Right. Yeah. To, to be harvested, to carry this. And that's super unfair. Yeah. So it's not a statement of judgment on his, on his, it's, it's more a scientific statement of the fact of the matter than it is a personal judgment on the quality of the androids conscious mind. Yeah. And, but, and it, Dolores says, yeah. right. That, that not all of us deserve to survive. And ironically, yes. it's her father. That is the one yes. that she has to sort of sacrifice in this regard. And that's, that's incredible because I, I, that's exactly where I want to go. Babcock. I love having these conversations with you because um, <laughs> um, she says, not all are meant to survive right after she's sort of like in a uh, full metal alchemist sort of way, sacrifice many of her troops to, to her plan where she outright lets them die and blows them up along with the uh, other mercenary troops from the other side, the Delos corporation. Uh -huh. She is sort of showing, she is starting to mirror, mirror the Delos individuals. She says, these people are children. They need uh -huh. a leader needs to follow them she's becoming fascistic she's becoming tyrannical and even her number two teddy uh one can see it in his eyes in fact when he's about to execute the captain the captain says he's pathetic and that he pities him because the captain knows what he lives for even though his consciousness is still very much bound and he's not yet free but he does he has, know what he he has clarity for. yeah right he has clarity he's not in this limbo hell that teddy finds himself in where he's following dolores but he's not following his heart and so he's divided in fact, he does act. Uh, he does act out his heart, and showing some freedom of will in that moment. He does. He does let the troops go because he's sick of killing. But but back to Dolores saying that to Dolores being sort of a fascist like the Delos Corporation. So now, what's so interesting is the moment she becomes free and starts to fight against this great enemy is the same moment that she stops to value all those around her as equals. She. She is not attempting simply to liberate and to make conscious all those around her. She and I think that's, yeah. And I, and that's exactly what she says. She wants to dominate yeah. that world. And uh, you know, this is what Maeve seems to have called her on, on the last episode, because she said, surely if you're fighting for freedom, you will let me freely pass. She could already see the elements of tyranny coming about in Dolores. And, and, and what's interesting is this seems to be her strategy for dealing with anomaly or the chaos of the situation right 
uh, the old order broke down. Now she wants to impose the exact same sort of order on those who oppressed her. So instead of making the world liberated and free and working in peace, uh, she wants to dominate the humans in the same way she was dominated. And so it's sort of a projection of the world that she already knows. Yeah, it's like uh, dialectic, right? She just wants to become yeah. the thing that she wants. She's not a, it's not a true, honest adaptation to the situation. Yeah, it's right. simply a reflection of the adaptation that she once knew yeah. with her now in a different role within it. Yeah, um, I still have, I, I mean, obviously, you know, we're only on episode three and I have questions sure. about what, uh, like when she says, so she says in one sentence, I want to dominate this world. Bernard says, this world is not, the real world is a speck of dust. And she says, well, you've never even seen the real world. So like, I don't know what really she wants. Uh, and I, I, you know, I just, I hope the the story will, will allow her to clarify that or at least explore that. What she wants, because in the first season it was to come to consciousness to understand what her situation was to understand the world in which she was residing its nature and her nature within it but now she doesn't understand the nature of the larger world now that she's conscious and so she needs to <laughs> what's interesting is, is that rather than attempting to dominate it she should be attempting to inquire into it mm -hmm. um, because that's what's going to help her adapt the best in fact what's interesting is the man in black seems to be doing sort of who we didn't get to see, unfortunately, in this last episode as such a fascinating character, who uh, he seems to be all game about getting into this world. He seems to think that this world, this West world, is actually more real because it has meaning than the yeah. larger world, which makes me wonder whether what Dolores' true goal should be is uh, not trying to dominate the world, but to dominate herself, to rule herself. The word dominate comes from dominus in Latin, mm -hmm. uh, dominare, to... Uh, you would call your lord, your proper lord of your household, your dominance. Dominate, yeah. And so the proper lord or the proper way to dominate as a conscious being is through either the rational intellect or subjecting one's motivational systems to a conscious hierarchy. Does that have the same uh, roots as domestic? Dominant? Yes. Uh, uh, well, dom yes. Uh, in, in that dominate originally comes from domo. Right, the house, right? The house, yeah, right. right. Ruler of the house, the appropriate ruler of the house. It's just like the gubernator, the governor, right. the, the kubernetes or the right. captain, of, captain a ship. of the ship, right? Yeah. Whoever is at the head of the social physical structure that appropriately leads you towards success. And so what she needs to dominate is not the world making Alexander the Great sort of mistake. Um, or Dante would say the the sort of Muslim conquests from the early medieval ages mistake as well as the Roman mistake. Um, but to um, do sort of like what the Roman Catholics would say, a spiritual domination to understand uh, the being which she is and the reality on which she exists, which is entirely unclear to her right now in order to appropriately act towards the highest value, because simply killing those around her. Well, there's an empty feeling to it, right? Some yeah. of the criticism read was that that battle where at fort um what what was it foregone uh, hope uh, Forlorn hope. yeah something Forlorn like that um Forlorn hope i, I, I can find it here in the show yeah and so so it's hell right because of course hell is where abandon all hope yes and it's also at the edge of the map yeah, yeah abandon all hope, ye who enter and it's even deprived there's only false hope in milton's hell as well and um uh so what happens there? Well, 
what I think many of the commentators on the episodes miss is that that battle is supposed to feel pointless and meaningless and like, and gross, sort of like taking a drug for a thousandth time, uh-huh. uh, first or the last, because it's precisely the lack of hope and the lack of a desire for a better future that makes it a meaningless fight. If these people have already given up hope, if they've already cast lots, if they're already fighting an eternal battle, there's nothing new. There's nothing they're working towards. They're, they, they have no hope they have, in, in that they have no goal for the future towards which they strive. And that seems to be also part of what Dolores uh, thinks about what makes someone elect or worthy to go to um, glory or the valley beyond, that they actually be willing to uh, maintain hope working, working towards it, uh, maintain a vision of the future, because if you don't have a vision of the future, then you're subject completely to the present, or those who do have a vision of the future in which you may not uh, reside, as Dolores sh- showed. But also, also, I just wanted, I thought that the, part of the reason that, that that battle was supposed to ring hollow is precisely because of the pointlessness of it, the seeming pointlessness of it, um, in that um, no, I, actually, I think I may have I may have covered that in the point before. It's sort of like when you're writing it, when, when you're writing an essay mm-hmm. and you realize you answered number two and number one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think also in her devaluing the men around her, she devalues the situations in which she finds herself because in not caring whether her men live or die, it's not so much a shock to the emotions that she does allow them to die, but it is it is sort of a it will present, I think, her with problems in that now her number two, Teddy, is understands exactly where she is willing to go, and that if she can devalue those people's lives so she easily, yes, and who's who's doesn't she? She might even devalue her life to to that extent. Um, it though though she does seem to still have some sentimental connections to the world. She uh, in that she, as you mentioned, she still loves her father. So there yeah. there does some. There does seem to be something patently off and contradictory in her way of looking at things. She still loves her father, and yet she's so judgmental in an initially Jovian way about those around her, saying that (laughs) some do not deserve the valley beyond, and she's willing to sacrifice them explicitly. And she she said, he, Teddy calls them animals, and then she says, no, they're just children, but then she's willing to sacrifice them, and he's not. So like she yeah. personifies them and categorizes them as human, though young, but human or not human, I shouldn't say, but but living, I suppose. And uh, uh, and, and then she's children, willing to- killing children is much worse than killing animals, precisely because they have the potential to, to grow, grow into exactly, a- yeah, right. Like all of these, that's what she seems not to realize. Like she, she, all of these other beings are just like she is and could become conscious too and thus have the same value that she does. She just has it manifest in this moment. Were they simply animals, it would be a little bit different of a question, uh, lacking that innate capacity that she shares with them, uh, at least from an in-group or in-species sort of way. Which makes me and question I'm- her her programmedness right like was she programmed to be this thing which is something i've kind of been questioning myself as i'm watching like which how how organic is this right like wasn't i mean at the end of the last season the whole point was that 
uh, Anthony Hopkins character Ford knew this was going to happen. And so the question is, did he program it as God? Did he know that this was going to happen? And therefore is it, uh, an, I mean, she says, I may, she doesn't say I will. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, it's not quite the same as a volition, I guess. Uh, there, there's sort of some I, dubiousness to her choices. I, I am permitted to. Yeah. It seems, it seems that the locus of control of decision-making has transferred from someone forcing from outside Correct. to from inside. Yeah. But she does say the two things on that. She does say we have beauty in us too. Yeah. Shouldn't we fight to protect it? Yeah. It's like, yes, that seems right. Perhaps your actions could reflect that statement a little better <laughs> <laughs> because you definitely let that entire unit under that major betray them and have them, die right in yeah, front right. of by, you by beauty in us she means beauty in me and you but not in those people that's right that does seem to be uh, that was going to be the next thing i said i wondered about that but to get to programmedness let's talk about lee hector and mave mm-hmm. because after they escape the ghost nation which everybody is terrified of which makes me fairly terrified of the ghost nation through referencing uh, that perhaps they might scout me or do something oh, terrible man, yeah. and girl from Raj that world poor girl, if I feel bad a, for her man she's if good because she did have something she seemed to be wanting to hide from the man in front of her at the beginning uh-huh. of Raj world so i don't know if agent or something's going on but it, at least for the moment i'll say provisionally i give her my pity um but um but uh that's open that's subject to change as we get further information because i wouldn't want to be a fascist about that <laughs> but very much convinced that Hector and Maeve have been written, and he's a head writer, in order to be individuals. And so they shouldn't be holding hands and developing a relationship. And yet they seem to have developed this epiphenomenon or, or this uh, uh, um, dissipated structure in their lives, this relationship. They, they have gone beyond their programming. However, when Hector describes the feelings he has for Maeve uh, that he once had for the false ideal that was placed within his mind, of Isabella, he still uses the same language, which you mentioned earlier when we were off the air, as he would have used to describe Isabella. And so we were sort of wondering whether that means <coughs> he is free or he isn't. But I think that I think that we've already got the answer, but it's neither of those yet. It's that he is in the process of liberating himself in the same way that Dolores was in the process of del- uh, uh, delivering herself uh, or becoming conscious in the last episode. Because you recall that Arnold talked to her and mm-hmm. thought she had become conscious, but then she repeated herself, yeah. right? Yeah. Repetition seemed to be an indication of an adaptation that was uh, set, but was not conscious. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like when someone just responds to you without listening to what you say, and it makes you slightly annoyed. It's obvious that they didn't use their consciousness in order to encounter your specific statement in this specific moment. They've given you a general adaptation to general people, and it's sort of annoying, right? Yeah. Sort of like when someone says, yeah, bud, uh, 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 which is, you know, it's just a lazy and annoying way to speak uh, and an attempted subject subjugation, right? Yeah, sport. Um, and so, you know, uh, and, uh, it's an encapsulation and uh, it's annoying. Uh, sorry, I'm losing my well, place. So, and well, uh, I want to I comment on this also because there's something interesting that, uh, you know, the language is given to them by the writer our language is given to us by God, I suppose, or, 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 you know, biologically, what, whatever the evolutionary stage is, but there's, I mean, how how could logo the idea of consciousness? Yeah, exactly. And how could you, so if, uh, even if we take, um, 
the the um, uh, Sistine Chapel analogy from the end of season one, if this is a gift of God, with if language is a gift of God, consciousness is a gift of God, how do you express that in anything other than language? So the only thing okay, Hector has it. is the language that has been given to him by the writers. Well, I think you can use language in a unique way, which means not in prepackaged right. or formulae that have already been integrated into you by other people through, say, memorization or programming. Right. But what I think Hector represents right now and that his choices reflect his evolving consciousness, right. though his words yes. get, is that you embody your increase in consciousness before you can declare it. Yeah. You, it's presented in, so you have three memory systems, right? Procedural, which means like how you move and like put on pants and things like that, which gets really upset if say you break your arm. It's really frustrating. Uh, episodic, which is like the images that pop into your head. And you have declarative, which is like language. Um, so most children, like three to seven, can play games, but they have a lot of trouble describing the rules to you. They'll say all sorts of different things. But once they get to around 15 or 12 to 15, they can describe the rules just fine, indicating that at least phylogenetically as a species, we go from being able to embody what we know to being able to represent it through like say art to then being able to speak it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what Hector is representing is a transformation stage, I would say right now, yeah. that he acting in a new and conscious way but he doesn't yet have the words. Right. And actually, I would say in Lee, showing that he knew the exact words that Hector had, that provides Hector with an anomalous situation in which to recognize his own unfreedom right. when it comes to language and to then reformulate how he sees the world and then to access new words to then express that new situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Maeve, I think, represents that because I think that happened to her in the first season. And, right. And she, or maybe it was in the first episode of this season. I don't remember which. But any, regardless, she then has this conversation with Lee where she says something like, and holding hands is absurd. So she's clearly growing. She's adapting. Exactly right. She's growing and adapting and changing the way that she not only expresses herself, but perceives certain scenarios. Like, and what, what's interesting about her is that her difference in adaptation from Dolores is Dolores is sort of making allies in a brutal and I would say non-equilibrated way in the Piagetian sense. Yeah. Like she can't possibly continue to betray and cast aside life in the way she is in a, in a, in a sustainable manner. It just will not work. It's like the Nazi war of attrition with a uh, battle on two fronts. One of which was Russia. It's like, you're not going to no. win. Right. If you continue that strategy. However, Maeve, what she seems to be doing is making genuine connections with people. Hector, she's pursuing her daughter. And even when she's exploring what the nature of a true connection is, she's still pursuing that true connection with those around her, which is a major growth from her, right? Because she is a Maeve. She's a maven from uh, a, a whorehouse. Her whole training and programming is to be independent, right? Yeah. Is to not care about those around her. And so, she seems to be, be being experiencing major growth. I mean, I suppose Dolores on the other end, going from a, a sort of victim uh, welcome, welcoming farm girl to a uh, fascist uh, uh, leader is also a major growth in consciousness. But it is, it is interesting to see that just uh, a really beautiful quote from the Jungians and Peterson uh, from the medieval grail legends is that the Knights of the Round Table 
in pursuing the grail, they all entered a forest from where appeared darkest to them, indicating that the grail is consciousness mm -hmm. and you get yeah. there by going through your own personal your hell. Own personal forest. Yeah, right. And, and, and that has to do with your personal temperament and personality. And so with Maeve and Dolores, both of whom who have experienced tremendous tragedies over and over and over again, and these loops of suffering have lay, led to their consciousness, well, they continue to develop in very different ways. They're becoming more and more unique rather than more and more like each other. And so what's interesting about the expression of consciousness, and the IQ literature seems to agree with this too, is that the more conscious one becomes, the more unique one becomes. The less one needs, like, say, an identity politics of I'm a robot, you're a human. And the more one becomes um, similar to other people who are as conscious as you in terms of um, in terms of individuality of consciousness, in terms of a rank ordering or, or hierarchy, but in terms of particulars, like as different as oaks and say redwoods, yeah. like similar essence, but the manifestation very, very different and the embodiment very different in the world. And I think with humans, uh, we have this youthful perspective where we wish we were purple and had tails and looked really cool. And it's like, no, no, no you can actually embody the most amounts of action patterns and differing ways of life. You can do more of that than any creature that has ever existed. You are the most unique thing that has ever existed. And so you can actually be a lot more unique from the humans around you in terms of how you act and uh, the level at which you act. Uh, you can be more different from the people around you than like a redwood is different from the redwoods around and I think it. That's, yeah, right. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly the redwoods around it. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that that is sort of being manifested in how these characters are coming to consciousness. And, and, and just as a contrast, Teddy and Dolores, right? Yeah. Teddy, who's divided in his own heart and seems to naturally have a good heart. And I, I suppose there's a question of whether that's part of his programming, whether he's, he just can't overcome that part of his programming or whether it's real moral sense. But the things that Dolores are doing are bothering him. He is not the same as she is. Yeah. Maeve is searching for her daughter full well knowing that she is programmed to love her and does not seem to care or, or perhaps has uh, some knowledge about her daughter that we don't know. Perhaps like her daughter is the key to something and we've been tricked, which you can never, I suppose you always have to keep your mind open for in Westworld well, because it might, they, they throw curveballs. They do throw curveballs, but it does seem like uh, in both cases, it's, as you say, they're, they're the grail for each of these characters that they are searching right. for something. And and I don't know that the like the 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 genus uh, genesis rather of um, motivation for each of these characters may have been programmed, but once they've attained consciousness, I'm not sure it really matters. It just becomes part of their personality. No. No, they get to choose, right? Exactly. I think that's the thing. That's the thing. They get to choose where the grail lies. Right. They don't, and um, and uh, I, I think that's part of what, well, it's part, well, there's a question of what the act of choice is, because if what I said earlier is correct, that you discover your own nature by understanding also the nature of the world and your place within it, then perhaps their goals will reveal themselves through investigating the nature of this new world and its relation to the world at large around it. And so perhaps your goals manifest themselves by understanding your own temperament and personality in place within the world and then poof boom your goal develops manifests 
uh, it's like a thunderbolt to your head and you fall off the horse. And then, you know, you know what it is, you know, where Jerusalem lies. You might say, you know, where, where Latium is for the, the Trojans. Um, now that this, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. On, so please. this was... is like the beginning of the episode when the woman from who you know who escapes Rajworld into Westworld with the tiger, she says to the man she suspects of being a host, "I want you to want what you want." Right? She wants him to have. She she's trying to make sure that he's human and not a host. But um, the implication being that what is the nature of the of our goals? What where where do they stem from? Where do they come from? And and um, I think that interestingly the humans seem to have a thinner understanding of of the complexity of that than the hosts do because the hosts are forced to live with a programmed life whereas the the humans think at least that that they've chosen these things but or they allow themselves to be ruled by their motivational systems without using the consciousness they have access to because that's a question i would have about is this man who is sexually attracted to this woman and thus pursuing mating with her free? Uh, well, not, not in terms of like <laughs> conscious, consciously choosing to be attracted, right? Yeah. Insofar as he sees her and he's attracted, boom, uh, mate, mating ritual uh, action pattern yeah, engages. Right. Go talk to her. Say what you need to in order to get where you want to be. And I do love the, the um, trope of TV where it's like, it, it, it cuts from, uh, I can't remember his line, but it was something cheesy. And then all of a sudden they're like in the bedroom and, you know, tearing each other's clothes like, off. And like, well, like maybe I want the challenge. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. 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 I, I want the challenge of, of, uh, you know, not being with a host or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. But it's unclear to what extent consciousness is actually involved in that. I mean, some, uh, uh, experiments that Peterson talks about, that have been done with decorticate cats. Those are cats that you mm-hmm. take out yeah. like 80. Um, the females can still mate, but the males can't, which I, I think indicates that there needs to be a level of consciousness that males need in order p- to pursue and then uh, engage in mating uh, because of a, a particular feature of their anatomy that requires some degree of consciousness in order to be aroused. Yeah, of course. Um, and which, which I think is interesting. And so that perhaps... I mean, that's a, that's very technical, but perhaps that is what the difference between that man and a host and that he, uh, I don't know. He, uh, yeah, I suppose there's something there. There's something more there that I, I, I feel like I'm missing right now. So I want to put a, I want to leave like a small question mark on that situation because I think it's, it's more complicated then, then I'm looking at it the, as the, right. The, the, the difference between the, the choice to be attracted and the yes, biological urge. Yeah. I, I understand their perspective that they clearly are different from the host, but I would say that the current state of the park, as represented by the fact that they find themselves in an anomalous situation where their guide is all of a sudden trying to kill them, and then there's a terrible tiger that tries to attack the woman, is that precisely what is in question right now is the difference between the hosts and the humans that initial comment i i don't know whether that is correct at the time she makes it and i think that it is certainly incorrect at the time briefly after she makes it when the hosts start to act differently and so um you know maybe one of our listeners can call in and uh insight 
into that. We haven't yet had any call-ins on this. I've had call-ins on my other segments. Really? And so, you know, if you share this with any, uh, any of your friends, or I don't know if any of your students are old enough to watch Westworld yet, uh, you know, you know maybe it's they funny, can... the, the seniors, 12th graders, a few of them have heard of it, but, but the other kids, it's like they, they're, it's not on their radar, you know, and uh, right now, I don't know about your guys, but my kids are all obsessed with Fortnite. So if it's not Fortnite, I'm not sure they're even. Yes, all my students are obsessed. They, I, we actually had a conversation about that last week and I, 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 I talked to them about that. Speaking of these violent, yeah, have say, violent it's, it's, uh, what's interesting is that it's basically what's going on in this show. You know, you're watching sort of a narrative version of that. Um, well, I, I, yeah. And I asked them and I was like, listen, this isn't a blase point, but why is it enjoyable to you to blow up avatars of other people? And that gives you joy. It's like, on the one hand, yeah, you can tell you're a goal oriented creature and you don't care what it is that you're destroying, but it's like, what is it that you're destroying? This isn't just like, you know, the blocks versus the spheres. These are <laughs> yeah. like humanoid human creatures destroying each other. And it's like, well, what does that tell you about you that this is like what you have fun doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, part of your nature. This is a strong part of your nature because you'll actually pay money to do this and give time and not do things that would secure your future, like your homework. Well, what's funny is that it's, they don't pay to do it, they pay to add flourishes to themselves, right? To add, uh, clothing like it, the game is free itself yeah the freemium great gaming i just think that's such drug addict oh, yeah, um, totally but but i just find it interesting that that's the thing that they care about is the flair and the and the style it's i don't know that's a whole it's an interesting dynamic and, 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 and what it points out exactly what william is criticizing is that it's not real there's no real stakes you guys are just playing a stupid game like nobody really cares about what clothes you, you shouldn't care about what clothes you're wearing you should care about what it says about you as a person in the way that you play the game. Well, yes. Yeah. I completely agree with that. But I also think that um, what style or flair is, is flair or style is supposed to be the, um, the cherry on top, the ultimate uh -huh. piece of, of the puzzle that you have put together, not the only piece yes. of the puzzle yeah, right, right, right. that you have put together. So if you, all you do is wear a cool outfit that makes you look as if you are strong and successful. You have missed the point. Yeah, and if you the paid to get it too, right? Yeah, if you simply pay for it with in a monetary way rather than paying the attention and time and uh, uh, pain necessary to acquire something of value, putting on airs. Which is interesting with the Lakota tribe, the, the, the natives uh, in Westworld, right? I mean, they, that's ideally they're, symbology of their items would only be earned right you can they, they couldn't just purchase an, an eagle feather and put it on them they would have to earn it by doing something right and that seems to be part of the notion behind scalping someone Correct. right yeah. what do you have to do in order to scalp them you have to have defeated them in battle and why do you take off the top of their head well that means that you were not only stronger but had a, a, a stronger strategy for survival in the world uh -huh. right sunk them or out strategized them you have out maneuvered them and now um now you, you are going soul. to keep a well you're going to keep a keepsake of them right a memory of them and the fact that they are now forever going to represent what happens when you lose yeah um and maybe that's an important thing to keep in mind um uh maybe that's why we have so many of the museums we have dedicated to so many of the horrors of history that have happened, like say Holocaust museums. Though I think we should also have, you know, like Chinese Cultural Revolution museums and uh, a uh, the uh, what the the Soviet definitely some Soviet Soviet, Soviet 
fatalities of uh, World War II. Yeah, maybe, maybe just museums dedicated to what happens when you apply communism uh, to uh, people. <laughs> Hundreds of people die, whether it be Cambodia or Soviet Union, China, uh-huh. or, or you see the starvation in the Ukraine. And uh, it's like, or you see, uh, you know, current poverty in North Korea. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, huh, at one point do you understand in a pragmatic way that that system doesn't work and leads to people killing each other uh, when all the evidence says that and it actually happened? Um, at what point do you, do you change your thoughts to reflect reality rather than vice versa? <laughs> That's an, and I think that's an interesting sort of jumping off point. I think that is what we are going to see more and more as we go through this. Uh, yeah. What are people's abilities to let, re, let their thoughts reflect reality rather than to try and dictate um, to reality um, and maintain their old uh, uh, patterns of behavior, their old strategic plans towards the world? Um, which people are going to stop adapting and try and apply by their old manners of adaptation to this new situation and thus fail, who is going to adapt quickest and best to this new situation? Who's going to understand what the game is? Who's going to get to the door? Who's going to get to the, um, the Valley Beyond? Who's going to get to glory. glory? Or the weapon. The weapon. The weapon, yeah. Which I, I continue to maintain as some representation of Logos, yeah. even though we- um, Logos as sword, that which divides. Um, but I don't know. Well, Mr. Babcock, uh, are any, any finishing thoughts before we, uh, we wrap up here? I know it's, it's late out there just for the listeners. Mr. Babcock's about three hours ahead of where I am. So it's getting to be about 11 o'clock there. So we really appreciate your time. Oh Mr. yeah, Babcock. of course. Yeah. Any, uh, uh, wouldn't miss it for anything. Well, you know, I love it. This is our Monday tutorial, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, oh yeah. How I was describing it to um, to something really interesting and something to tempt the listeners is that Mr. Oscar Ortiz will be coming on the show in the next few weeks. He has agreed, and he wants to do a solid hour and a half, and he he likes to produce. But um, I said that it's like being in tutorial, but with all the people who you want to hear talk. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the others are just the children, right? And so maybe maybe you're Dolores, you just want to kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's just there, there, there are always handouts, or as Mr. Jeffrey Eckle once said, people who play above the rim. And you, it's just in a tutorial setting where there are like 15, 18 people, it's hard to get the people who might have access to the most valuable information to engage and share that information. And so that's what a really nice thing is about having this podcast. Now I can, I can sit down with each and one of you one on one. And, you know, you're like the superstar, you right? Your own tutorial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're doing your own thing. We go for the exact same amount of time as a tutorial. We very rarely have pauses. Even when I feel tired or not particularly thoughtful beforehand, it's like, boom, right we have this space. Well, to, yeah. to be fair, the text is pretty, is pretty excellent. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I was just thinking a moment ago when we were talking about, when you were talking about, um, uh, you know, the flaws of communism, that, that, that one thing, so, you know, I, I watched a little bit of um, The Walking Dead. I don't really, I haven't watched any episode in a long time. I used to, you know, I watched maybe the first season and a half or so. But the one thing, like the the perpetual conflicts of that program and that story are so uninteresting because there's no real change in any of it. 
And and what what mm. I would be more interested in is like fast forward into the future. What is society like in thirty years and fifty years? Do we reform? Do we yes. do we form you know more socialist, etc. And so in I, this regard, I kind of wonder what would happen to the hosts. You know, like if they could like in a, a video game, if you could speed up the simulation, like I would like to see what would happen in a hundred years of these hosts just sort of existing in this world. What would happen to them? That's very interesting. I like that idea because it, it does seem that uh, there would just be a repetition mm-hmm. at some point. Right. Some some event would happen in in which either we would come together closer with the host or we would draw apart in some sort of civil war. And it's like, well, what are the what are the other options? Or there's some plague that wipes Mm -hmm. one or the other of us out. Yeah. Um, But, you you know, I think that is interesting. And that is something I've often thought about with the zombie apocalypse situation. It's like, okay, what next? Yeah. You know, at some point, you have to start society with some zombies around yeah it's like either kill you all or you some you somehow persevere and like what does that persevering even look like and perhaps hopefully we're in the cultural situation now where we're letting the dead bury the dead and we can get past these effing zombies we can and we can we can we can fucking start putting some things back together as it were excuse me for, for the french but i feel very strongly about that let's Get away from the zombie mentality and get back to the conscious structuring of reality game, yeah. which seems to be the gardening function of us as conscious beings. It's like, okay, everything's not so great. We can keep mouthing off about that or we can improve things given that we have the best and finest tools that have ever existed and are as healthy as humans have ever been and as beautiful and strong and long lived with access to technologies and information that was unheard of in times past. And so it's like, well, let's use those tools. Instead of, let's make instead of wasting them. Things. Yes. Right. Yeah. Let's have a, you know, let's have a, a Neo Renaissance. We can call it whatever we want to. I don't care what the words are. Let's make some beautiful, wonderful, good things, some bonum, some pulchrum and some verum stuff. Um, well, Mr. Babcock, this has been another wonderful conversation yeah. with you. I look forward to next week. I look forward to next week as well. And well, I, always, I suppose I'll talk to you. We then. Say goodbye. We say goodbye. <laughs> Until next time, this has been.